Different Not Damaged is the new dark fantasy short story collection featuring six short stories highlighting disabilities in genre fiction. Through these pages, you'll find six tales with one impactful message. Stories of a people betrayed by body or mind who struggle to survive in a grim world that takes no pity on the weak. Yet they will discover that they are simply different, not damaged. Where strength becomes weakness and disability becomes power. Different, not damaged by Andy Pelequin, a collection of fantasy stories that shatter the perceptions of possibility. With each page, you'll be drawn further and further. Stories that may even change the way you see the world. Read for free right now on Amazon Kindle Unlimited and find out more about the fantasy worlds of author Andy Pelequin at andypelequin.com. That's P-E-L-O-Q-U-I-N, andypelequin.com. Book Geeks Uncompromised is a weekly podcast by two serious nerds that have a passion for fantasy and science fiction stories. Join in their discussions as they dive into current topics in the world of sci-fi and fantasy, review fantastic books, share their sometimes unpopular opinions, and interview some awesome authors. Join Danny and Greg for news, reviews, and interviews at bookgeeksunc.com. Follow us on Twitter at bookgeeksunc or Facebook at 2bookgeeksunc. You can also download any of our past episodes on your favorite podcatcher app. That was Book Geeks Uncompromised, where we make reading less solitary. This episode is brought to you by Ignis Publishing, bringing you Discrasia Fiction by author S.E. Lindbergh. Available now at selindbergh.com. Helen and Sharon are orphans haunted by supernatural diseases, insects, and storms. They're your tour guides through this entryway novella into Discrasia fiction, which explores the choices humans and their gods make as a disease corrupts their souls, shared blood, and creative energies. In Helen's Diamonds, guardian angels are among the demons chasing the girls. When all appear grotesquely inhuman, which ones should they trust to save them? Helen's Diamonds, a new entry point for fans and new readers, Author Joe Bonadonna at Blackgate Magazine raves, Lindbergh is the real deal, a gifted writer with a strong command of language. Helen's Diamonds, Discrasia Fiction, available now on ebook and paperback at selindbergh.com. That's selindbergh.com. This is author Raymond D. Feist. Hi, this is R. Scott Baker. This is Anthony Ryan. The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Delilah S. Dawson to the show. Delilah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is literary agent Mark Gottlieb from Trident Media Group. This is David Anthony Durham. Hi, this is Melanie Metters. Hi, this is Brian Stavely. Hello, this is Jesse Bullington slash Alex Marshall. Hi, this is Jeff Salyards. Hi, this is Michael R. Fletcher. The Grim Tidings Podcast proudly welcomes Steven Erickson to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward it's the Grim Tidings Podcast interview with R.J. Barker, author of Age of Assassins. It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. The British Invasion comes to its conclusion on the show today as we continue to highlight some of the most lit authors emerging from the UK. We featured Anna Smith-Spark, Ed McDonald, Anna Stevens, and Phil and I think today's guest may prove to be the most riveting chinwag yet. He's the author of the critically acclaimed fantasy debut Age of Assassins, currently residing in Leeds with his wife, son, and cat, along with a questionable collection of taxidermy, odd art, scary music, and more books than they know what to do with. 
After growing up on a steady diet of fiction and a background in rubbish rock music, our guest returned to his first love, culminating in a trilogy deal with Orbit Books and the release of the first book in the Wounded Kingdom series just this past August. He loves the color black, wears pointy boots, has long flowing locks most anyone would be jealous of, and plays badminton really, really badly. Joining us on Skype today, the Grim Tidings podcast welcomes author R.J. Barker to the show. I'm so glad to be here. They made me do it in that voice, <laughs> just so you're aware. <laughs> I really am genuinely glad to be here, but but they, they made me do that. That's, that was quite a mean thing for them to do. Yeah, you said it really well. I didn't Thanks. make it. Rob. <laughs> no, it, it was Rob. Uh, well, we are glad to have you here, and uh, we're going to be talking about your book, um, writing and publishing, and so many cool things. Uh, but the British Invasion continues here on the show, culminating with you, R.J. Barker. Um, you've got the chance, actually, to hang out with Ed McDonald, Anna Smith-Mark, and Anna Stevens recently at some cons you've attended, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I know them all, um, and they're, they're all they're all lovely. And it's quite nice that we've we've all come out, all our books have had pretty good reviews but they're all they're all very different um and we're all very different as as people um Anna Smith Smart Sparks is in some way kind of like my mirror image in that we're, <laughs> we're both goths um and she's very dark and very sort of grim and her but I'm like no everything's fantastic <laughs> um and Ed is lovely and and Anna Stevenson's mad as a box of frogs <laughs> <laughs> in a nice way she, she'll she'll like us at that uh, we've been following you on your uh, social media here, uh, following you on your Twitter. Um, uh, on Twitter, you're at dead, but how, how do you say your Twitter handle? It, it, uh, this is, this, I have the most stupid Twitter handle ever. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> there, there's a band called Fields of the Nephilim who I, I really like, and they have a song called Dead But Dreaming, which is a, oh. a nod to um, H.P. Lovecraft. Oh. Um, and, and it would have been dead but dreaming but somebody had taken that so it's dead but dreaming without the vowels apart from one or two. Oh, okay so at dead thought, but dreaming okay. i yeah, thought it was it's... like dead butt manager <laughs> <laughs> like your butt is dead you mean sitting so long so your butt's dead uh, yeah but no no it's not even that exciting okay. i did once get a random email from complete stranger it just said why is your email address dead but drumming <laughs> <laughs> That works too. <laughs> yeah, and I had to write back to him and say it isn't, and he wrote back and say he was really disappointed. I'm so sorry. I'll let, I'll let you down. That was before I even knew who I was. I just I'd started already, just just letting people down. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully uh, this podcast won't be a letdown, uh, and my hopes are high. Um, on your social media feed, uh, you just posted uh, some very impressive artwork from the French cover for Age of Assassins. You must be pretty impressed with that one. Yeah, that, that's that's a really beautiful cover. Is that one? I mean, I, I like I like them all. I think they're, they're all very different. The German ones much more sort of vitey looking, and and the the UK and US one is quite melancholy. I think, but um, I, I don't know. I think that French one has caught something, and it's definitely caught people. I think it's had something like 150 likes now. Ooh. So yeah, it's, it seems to be really popular. But um, yeah, it, it's the most arty. I think. I think it's the most. I think that's a piece of art. Whereas the other ones are maybe manipulated photographs. So I do. I love the the kind of ripped fabric effect on the UK and US one. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. That that was sort of one of the first things I came up with was that ripped fabric. I thought, yeah, I, I can get behind that. That's lovely. So we'll talk about uh, Age of Assassins then. It is your debut fantasy epic novel from Orbit Books. If you could, mm-hmm. tell our listeners a bit about the book and why you think they should maybe pick up a copy. Oh, why should you pick up a copy? It's really good. Um, 
<laughs> all authors think that. Not all of them say it, but they all do. It's, it's, there's no point lying about it. We don't we don't write books if we think they're going to be rubbish. What's what's the point in that? Mm. Um, it, it's the story of Girton. Girton is 15 in the book, and he's an assassin, and he's very very good at it. He's he he could kill you as soon as look at you. You go for a drink, and he just stab you in the face, and you'd be dead, and, and it'd be a really bad night out. Um, he's not very socially aware. He's been brought up in a way he doesn't know people of his own age, and it, he goes with his master to a castle and they get captured and it's a trap um i, I want to say that in admiral akbar's voice but I'm, i've just not got a deep enough voice to do it and i just sound silly um, um and and they're, they're given an ultimatum basically which is somebody's trying to murder the heir to the throne who um nearly every reviewer has, has said um good on them because he's a dick which is a, a good description of him um and, and they're told that they they have to find out who's trying to murder him or they're there for the chopping block. So that that's the setup. It's it's kind of a murder mystery set in a big castle um, in this land that is kind of falling apart because of the effects of magic on it. But I'm really wary about saying too much about it because it is a mystery mm-hmm. uh, and I can give it away so easily. Yeah, so we'll keep the, uh, the preview here. Non-spoilery, but uh, sort of a yeah. fantasy mystery sort of mashup. Yeah, I, t- I thought I'd written a crime novel with fantasy elements. Mm. Um, and then my agent went, no, no, you've written an epic fantasy novel because that's what people will buy. Um, oh. So I went, okay. <laughs> and, and, and Orbit said, yeah, it's definitely it. And it, and it does have those those themes of royalty and, and it, it is a trilogy of a sort of, I think, I think they span about 25 years, the books. Um, oh. So you have that sort of length and size of story. So so it is epic in that way, but each one is a self-contained um, murder mystery. Uh in, with magic and a lot of sword fights and massive antlers mustn't forget you think i'm obsessed by antlers but i always forget to add that that they, they ride around on beasts with massive antlers and claws and big fangs oh, we like monsters yes I, I, I love them so on the show notes we do have a link uh, to buy age of assassins on amazon so if re- listeners wanted to uh, click that and purchase a copy um uh, last time i checked on amazon it was only 4.99 on kindle so not so bad, and then Goodreads has Age of Assassins at over 300 ratings and a 4.1 average, so that is very impressive for, for a book that just came out in August. So, I, I don't look at Goodreads. No. It, it's the author swamp. <laughs> yeah, you, I kind of yeah, agree. Yeah, you, you walk into it and, uh, and you're just sat there reading reviews thinking, but this person is so wrong! So I just don't go to hear it. <laughs> is it like the swamp of sadness from NeverEnding Story? You go there and then like you, you're like the horse and you just give up living? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it got, I, got, I heard the pain there. Oh, I'd forgotten about Artex until you mentioned him. Yeah, oh, sorry. Oh, that, that's brought it down a bit, Phil. Ah, sorry, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the downer guy. <laughs> but yes, it, it is a bit, so I, I don't go to goodreads i do occasionally my agent will send me to amazon reviews and say you should go and read these especially when i got my first one star review oh and he told me that i had to go and read it because my agent thought that was hysterical um i love my it's brilliant (laughs) go Um, read it (laughs) yeah go go read it um so that that was good but but yeah we've got off track somewhere what were we talking about this i'm very bad at talking about goodreads oh yeah yeah, but yes, it, it's. I've, so what you've told me is news. I did not know that many people had, had reviewed it, or, or that was its average. So I'm, yeah. I'm very pleased. Thank you, Goodreads readers. I am in no way being rude about you. I am just a coward when it comes to reading my own reviews. <laughs> that is the truth. Yes, I too support Goodreads. Thumbs up. Mm. <laughs> um, 
Let's talk about assassins a little bit. We haven't really talked about assassins on the show. We talked about wizard, yeah. wizards and thieves and mm-hmm. monsters and all sorts of shit like that. But assassins are really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what attracts you to assassins as uh, a lead character? Like having an assassin as a lead character? Partly. My, my thinking was um, w- when I wrote the book, I wanted to write a detective story. And, and the... The assassin's good for a detective because they're in the background and they're all about sneaking around and, and finding out stuff. So there was that. Um, and also that they're, they're, they're badass, if if I can use that word in a technical. It's a technical writery word. I'm not sure everyone will understand it, but that they are badass. Uh, and it's so wrapped up in the way that Age of Assassins came to me because I, I kind of I had the entire book jumped into my head all at once. So it's really difficult for me to say I was influenced by this or that because it just kind of appeared but the sword fighting style in the book um is it's sort of reminiscent of um the the guy richie sherlock Holmes movies Holmes mm. movies you know you get that he it, it does that kind of thing um which i'd not realized till somebody pointed it out to me that's probably what was in my head when i was coming up with it and that came into my head and and these sort of names for these odd balletic moves and it coming from dance um and I thought that fitted really well with an assassin because I kind of have this image of them being very athletic. Um, so that that's why I came to assassins. Mm. It wasn't any particular; it just it, it worked with the story I wanted to tell, rather than I wanted to write about assassins. I think that's the best way of putting it. Okay. Sometimes I almost sound serious, do <laughs> Never guess. I'm just almost. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> assassins are a pretty uh, grim, dark character archetype. Uh, would you consider Age of Assassins a grim, dark novel? I don't think I would. I mean, everyone has a different definition of, of Grim. No. Grim Duck is really a... We all agree. Yeah, I, I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There has never been a, a hundred-person thread on what is Grim Duck. Um, imagine that. Imagine all those people just never happen. Um, for me, the, the quintessential Grim Duck thing is a very immoral hero, um, or not even hero, lead character. That That is what, to me, would be Grim. And... Gurton in Age of Assassins, though though he is a murderer for hire, um, is actually a very moral character. He, he he wants to do the right thing. He's just never really known that there was a right and wrong thing until he's put in a position where where that becomes apparent. Um, though the world itself is gritty, I would say, because that that's based on history. Is is the world I've pulled that from from a love of history, and the three books. You know, I mentioned them of being they're over a long period and they're him at different ages and the older you are, the, the sort of the darker you can see the world is. So you get that sort of the first book is relatively light, second book's a bit darker, and the third book, if it makes it through edits as it is, is very dark indeed. Um, but it might not actually be by the time you buy it, because you can never tell. <laughs> so your your world is kind of a, a new term we can coin. Progressively grim dark. Prog prog grim. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 the tool of of grim. No, that that doesn't sound good, does it? My book's a tool. Um, I wrote the band tool. Yeah, so that that kind of actually feels of the Netflix. If um if any of your readers have a penchant for eighties and nineties goth music, uh, kind of like a goth Pink Floyd. Um, so maybe maybe that was in my head. I doubt it. I don't think much. I just do stuff. You mentioned the 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 world briefly. Um, from reading the the opening of the book, you can get a sense of how magic impacts the world and 
and how the world has been greatly affected by magic in a negative way. Could you elaborate on the magic system or how uh, sorcery has affected the world and how that impacts the story? Yeah, this this is a, a world that's, that's right on the edge of survivability uh, for terms of the people that live in it, for how much crops they can grow and how much how many animals they can they can bring up on it. Because what the way magic works in it is, if I was in your house, uh, oh well, not your house, your gardens. But if I was in your garden and I was a magician, um, and you said do a spell for us, RJ, and I said, oh brilliant, I'll do a spell, and I did a spell in your garden everything would die because the magic is life force and, and it, you steal it you steal it from the plants you steal it from the people around you you steal it from anything in a kind of radius around you and then nothing will ever grow that area again it's just dead it's desert um, but it's not desert you can reclaim apart from possibly through blood they, they definitely believe you can reclaim it through blood whether it works or not um I, I won't say you might find out who knows um mm. and that's how you, you basically, you're, I think there has to be a prize for magic. I don't think you can just be throwing fireballs willy-nilly. So he, there is a huge price to pay for magic. And, and that's why sorcerers are, are desperately unpopular and tracked down and, and killed for what they are. Because they, they don't want their world getting any worse. There are huge tracts of it that just can, no one can live in or go near. That's kind of grimdark. Kind of a low magic system too, RJ. Yeah, I, I think um, Ed McDonald's book is, is similar in that mm-hmm. magic in his world is, is, is apocalyptic. Uh, Shit's all fucked up. Destroys all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. That's, that's a good uh, technical, right? Term, <laughs> Another right? one of those writerly terms, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you decided to uh, give uh, Girton a, a disability like a club foot. Um, what mm-hmm. made you decide to go with that for uh, the lead character? I, I hate saying this because it's a bit oh, uh, we, have, we have a character in the UK who, who is the sort of person who comes into the office and goes, I'm dead wacky me. Um, they're, they're blatantly not. Um, but all my life, people have thought I'm a bit odd. Not in an unpleasant way. It kind of, we're glad to have you around, but you are a bit odd. Um, <laughs> and, and that experience of being the other has been sort of something I've lived with all my life. And uh, for years, people just thought I was a girl because I looked so much like a girl. I was about 35. <laughs> people just think I was a woman. Um, the amount of makeup and hair didn't help, fair enough. But um, <laughs> but yeah, there's that that being something slightly other because um, I, I was always very, very goth and, and you, you're kind of aware people treat you differently. And then I, I became very ill. This is, this is oh, we, should, we need, need some sad music for this bit. If, if you get a little <laughs> bit of sad music. Lovely. This is my sob story bit. Uh, if, we're on, if we're on the X Factor, it'd be perfect. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I, became, I became really ill. Um, and I, I'm six foot tall. I got down to about six stone. No one knew what was wrong with me. It was all very tedious. Um, but uh, as part of that, it, it messes with your joints. And, and I... I could barely walk. Uh, so I've been through that experience of being, I mean, technically still I'm disabled. I just don't like to admit it. But um, so, so that, that fed into Girton as well. But um, I, I did ball it completely because a club foot doesn't really hold him back that much because Lord Byron fought wars and swam the Hellespont with a club foot. So, you know, you can, you can cope. But I wanted, I wanted him to have that otherness and to, to know pain and, and, do you mind if I waffle on a bit more? Because I'm going to touch on something else. Go for it. Sorry yeah. if this is boring. Not at all. Um, yeah, and also, um, historically speaking, oh, um, to have a deformity is to be picked on by the gods or, or to have something wrong with you. It's seen as a sign of something wrong with you inside. And I liked that. Rather than a hero who's 
disabled through wounding, which is, you know, that, that's kind of something you can boast about. If you've lost lost an arm, somebody chopped it off in battle, you know, you were, you were doing something cool. So it's, it's not necessarily where Girton's club foot, they call him Mage Ben, and they see it as a, a sign that he's been touched by magic. So it's another thing that pushes him outside and makes him a figure to be bullied and hated. And that, and that was what I wanted to set him up as. That was no, quite a full answer for me. Yeah, that yeah. that kind of leads into my next question about uh, club. You know, having a club foot as an assassin may not seem like a typical image of what people may have of an assassin. Is maybe they think uh, like an Assassin's Creed type, flipping off buildings and mm-hmm. ju- jumping all over the place. Um, I imagine he probably uses some non-traditional uh, methods of assassination what what kind of non-traditional weapons might uh, Girton use without he typically fight typically when he fights if he, he fights with two swords uh, and he's he's trained as an acrobat he's surprisingly athletic for oh, because okay. as, as I said uh, a club foot is, is actually something that sounds bad but doesn't mm. really hold you it's, it's more physically painful um but he, he talks a lot about the fact that as an assassin, it's not about fighting. It's about not being seen. Um, and being disabled means he's somebody people don't want to look at. He's someone that's pushed to the background. He'll go in, he'll get a job as a pot boy or something very lowly, and he'll wait until there is a moment and he'll use whatever is available to off somebody. And that, that's how he talks about his work, way of assassin and the way the assassins in this world work. They're not particularly he's very highly martially trained but he doesn't use that he more or less but you don't actually see any assassinations in the book i don't oh. think they actually carry anything out but you just talk about it and, and you see him fight but that's that's not really what he's about okay are there other that assassins a- in the book that um you could you could describe a little bit like um different methods they might use you see you see him sort of sneak into a place and kill somebody and it's done mostly by surprise, but he has to fight this person. Um, and you, you kind of hear about people killing in the later books. You find other things, people, his favorite way of assassinating someone is doing something that will mean they drop dead when he's somewhere far away. So mm-hmm. he, he might use poison or, or other thing. Oh, we, we're straying into spoiler territory. Oh. lads. Oh, um, close. Yeah. But he's, yeah, he's he's martially trained well enough to take most people on two or three people on one on one if he wants to, but mm. he would much rather drop some poison in your food and do a runner. Um, as a teenage protagonist, do you think Age of Assassins kind of rides the borderline of almost being YA? Um, yes, it wasn't intentional at all, but um, my. 13 and 14 year old nieces and nephews have all read it and really enjoyed it and they get a very different experience from it that somebody older does which is quite interesting um so i and i think that's one of the reasons orbit liked it is that it's not it is a book for grown-ups but there's there's no there's no sort of nothing overtly sexual in it um it's not really that sweary because i'm not that that sweary you may you may have noticed mm. but i know you i know you like swearing so i'll mm. just say dropping a bugger now um, <laughs> you said dick that's kind of swearing yeah yeah i did didn't I? that's that's too, that's quite per hour that's probably higher than my usual average <laughs> that's i see you yeah yeah I, I, I might i might drop in something else later on cool. go absolutely crazy looking forward to it but um yeah, I, I don't know. I'll, I've got a little pad here I'm jotting on, so I'll, I'll write down some swear words and think of them which, which might fit, fit best. Um, that's a bloody hell. 
That's a good one. Um, very Ooh. English. Well, yeah. So, yeah, it does kind of. I'd be wary of saying it is a YA book because I think a YA book is is really quite specific genre wise, and I think this has things in it that might be associated with YA books. YA books, but they're kind of accidental, and it is very much not a YA series. It is going places that, that a YA book probably wouldn't. That's a good way of saying it. Fun reading for almost all ages, young and old. This one definitely is. Yeah, I think, but I think you get something different out of it. I think mm. if you're a if you're a kid, you you get a story about a, a boy who's struggling to fit in, which um I know when I was sort of fourteen or fifteen, that would have been very attractive. And, and if you're an adult, you you get a story about how power works out and how interpersonal power and and power between parents and children. There's kind of lots of parallels with that and politics i think uh, there's, there's a much deeper story you can have if you want or you can just read it as an adventure where people get stabbed it, it's really up to you but that's that's the sort of book i i like mm-hmm. we, we like those two we like stabbing. extra stabby <laughs> it's very stabby <laughs> it's a lost <laughs> did you have to do any uh, sort of research into the stabbing or weapons or anything the any of the elements that you used in age of assassins no I did no research. None at all? Um, none at all. I, I do have an interest in history. I've written a lot of sort of scripts for people to perform in museums when they're pretending to be people from history. So I've got that background and I've fenced in the past. Um, oh. And I fenced a bit recently as well, but oh, my hands don't like it. Um, so I, I have a, an understanding of how, how combat works. Not quite as deep as, as Ed McDonald's, um, mm. but I reckon I could take him, you know, <laughs> if he was asleep. Yeah, if if Ed was asleep, it's a throwdown. Um, yeah, if he was asleep and, and <laughs> definitely not going to wake up, I could take. You could him take out. him. Okay. I'm a hundred percent sure. Yeah, absolutely. That that's my challenge, Ed. You got to sleep somewhere. See if you can beat me in a fight while you're asleep. You you can't do it, man. I'm I'm better than you. I'd like to see that. Like just a bunch of fantasy authors get together and have like a tournament and just like. I, people of mixed skill, like Ed McDonald versus like. Yeah. We yeah. we talked we talked about this and kind of you all think well Ed is he he trained he does all that stuff with all those sort of old fashioned weapons but Anna Stevenson would just destroy us she she would she probably would she's a, a karate black belt and oh she's yeah done weightlifting okay. yeah yeah we wouldn't stand a chance and, and then um, Anna Smith Sparks would probably hide at the side and just wait and then come out and stab the victor behind him <laughs> and I I'd be hiding in the toilets because I'm not stupid <laughs> I know my place. <laughs> You get on with your violence. I'm I'm gone. Some good visuals there. I'm <laughs> imagining this unfolding. Yeah, con- yeah, yeah. It, convention. It's come up before. Yeah, we've we've talked about this. We, we did them. <laughs> I did try and convince everyone to try to try and murder Ed on a on a panel once. <laughs> he was he was strangely he did he wasn't up for it, which I think was was very unsporting of him. <laughs> I I just like to add in is that there's um. A character in the book, and I never ever talk about it, and I should do. Um, I mentioned the antler beasts that they ride around on, um, and Gurton's master, Meryl Khan, who who's, he refers to her as the best assassin in the land. Her her antler beast, they're called mounts because the people of the ti- it's it's set in a world called the Tired Lands, um, which, which tells you everything you need to know about it. Um, and they're not a very imaginative people. They have a sword for stabbing people, and they call it a stab sword. Um, they. <laughs> They they have things they ride on and they call them mounts and they have people that ride on them and they call them riders. They're not big at making up clever stuff, but their mount is called Zus. He's named after the god of death. And he is just an animal and he never speaks, but he's probably my favourite character in it. Because there's just something knowing and funny about this massive thing. If you read the book, 
just pay attention to, to that thing because it's, it's often funnier than you might realize that's the bit i never say i've got to say it yay is it massive like in a elephant way or is it uh smaller it's smaller than an elephant it's it's rideable roughly like a horse but i reckon they're they're bigger than a than a shy horse and um they have huge antlers they're used as cavalry mounts so they're like big powerful and they're trained to fight and in in book two the thing that i most wanted to write was a, a full cavalry charge where it's like antler against antler a knight against knight and, and you get that in, in book two and it's absolutely joyful to write it's so violent and I'm, oh i'm not usually into violent but it was that, that i used to say violence is not cool but actually th- this bit really is um so let's talk a little bit about uh writing and publishing this bad boy i read that it only took you six weeks to come up with age of assassins to, to write the whole manuscript yeah it did it was it was it was a mad six weeks um and it, it was really weird. I'd, I'd submitted my my other agent. I had a different agent at the time, and we parted ways for really boring reasons. People expected to be gossip, and, and there wasn't. It's just tedious. But he's a lovely man, and we're still good friends. Uh, I'd done a science fiction novel called A Darkness Against the Stars that very nearly sold, but not quite. And I can't write in that place where you don't know what's going to happen. I, I just get really stuck. So when, when it came back, my, my agent at the time, Rob, said, oh, look, it's not sold. He was so cross. He was gutted, absolutely gutted. And I was just like, yes, at last I know. I didn't really care. But I wanted to write something new. Uh, and I started. There were a few ideas given to me saying the publishers might like this sort of thing if you want. And I started. And then this this whole idea for Age of Assassins just sort of went into my head. I was like, oh, my God, I've got to write that book. Uh, and I just and I sat and wrote it. And it's more or less the book you read, apart from a couple of action sequences at the beginning and end. And there's kind of one subplot that loops around within the story that, that was added in. But the the main plot and, and the crime and, and the fighting style and the characters all are more or less as, as they wrote them. It has not happened since, sadly, but it, it was an amazing experience. It was literally like Girton was sat behind me telling me what to write. It was really weird. Uh, and I finished it and I'd, I'd heard people say, oh, you write it and you know you think this is the one that will sell. And I just thought, yeah, right, you, you're saying that with hindsight. But I finished it and thought... Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Ah, that's the one that I'll sell. And it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was quite weird. <laughs> it, it was. It was lovely and joyful. And so uh, you've written the manuscript for book two. Yep, already. and three. And and three. Did it? So yeah. did it take six weeks to write the, those two as well? Um, I think book two wrote, took three and a half months, and book three took four, five months, okay. maybe. Um, I don't really time myself. I only know it was six weeks because it, it was it, it was over Christmas, and I, and I can pinpoint those. It was eight weeks in actual time, but two weeks were were doing Christmas. And I remember kind of spending the whole of that Christmas thinking, I, I don't I don't want to be being seasonal and joyful. I want to be <laughs> writing my book and being quite grumpy. Um, that's 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 how I can put that. But I do I write about two thousand words a day when I when I start and and properly mean it. I don't know why I do. It's just what I do. And, and that seems to work for me. And then you had a few trunk novels under your belt as well, including the uh, sci-fi novel as well. Oh, yes, quite a few. Um, I wrote short stories for ages and ages and ages, mm-hmm. and I've probably got about 100 Ooh. short stories. And at one point, the most I ever made was I made I got a check for $5. Um, Big time. <laughs> which Yeah, <laughs> and I couldn't even cash it in a British <laughs> bank because they just went, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's not <laughs> enough money for us to cash. So I, I, lit- I didn't actually make anything. Um, <laughs> And, and every short story, I got to a point where I just came back saying, yeah, it's all right, but it's a bit weird. Um, and then my little boy was born and I stayed at home looking after him. And I thought, right, I'm going to actually stop being a coward and write a novel. And I wrote a novel that was 
utter rubbish. Um, I wrote a novel that was quite good and probably the person who looked at it says, yeah, it is good, but there's probably about eight people in the world that want to read it, um, which is fair enough. I think those eight people would have loved it. Um, It was very goth. And um, then I wrote... uh, um, a crime novel because I like crime so I wrote a crime novel and I wrote science fiction novel and then I wrote Age of Assassins so it's my fourth fifth fourth it's a, it's a, a number you can count on one hand mm-hmm. oh, okay. um, but there was a lot of practice right before that with short stories and stuff it's not it's not overnight it's I've been writing about 12 years I think okay do you think that's necessary for writers to kind of uh, you know work out the kinks with some practice uh, I mean, I've kind of had this discussion before with people and they say no novel should be a practice novel like you should always put your best effort into it and kind of agree with that but at the same time i think you kind of have to fail on your own without maybe getting advice before you realize what you're doing correctly or what works for you do you how do you think about that i think i agree with with you in in that um i always knew my first novel was was very bad Uh, and there was there was no question it was very bad and i was working out how to do it and i'm not I found out very early when I was writing short stories that I can't go and read writing advice and put that to any practical use. All it makes me do is stop because um, basically I don't like being told what to do. Basically, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a bit, of, I'm a bit of a dick like that. So um, you said it again. At least, yeah, yeah I did. That's three swears. <laughs> three, uh, yeah. That's, what about arse? Therefore, that that's probably uh, yeah. higher. So uncivilized. All time. I know it's I'm going to be thrown out of England for this, guys. It's going to be, you're, you're not British anymore, I'm afraid. The Queen's very angry. <laughs> Get over to France. Go on. Um, but but um, I went to school and I was, I was reasonably bright and doing reasonably well at school. Uh, and then I discovered rock music. Uh, and I was quite sure I was going to be a huge rock star, despite the fact I have no musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> but I, I didn't let that stop. <laughs> so I stopped paying attention at school. Um, so when, when I kind of realized possibly not being able to play an instrument really was going to hold me back, um, and, and I should go back to something I'd always loved, which was words, I, I didn't really know how to use them. So I started from that position of knowing I had to learn everything from the start, um, which, which is, so with that, what, what um, Phil, Phil said, am I getting your voices mixed up? Just shout at me if I am. Um, <laughs> No, daft as a brush. But um, yeah, there was a lot of writing, knowing that it wasn't going to be very good. But on the other hand, I think also if you come from a place where you genuinely don't know what you're doing, you also don't know what's wrong, and it allows you a lot of freedom. So maybe I've I've let myself do things I might not have, and like in there's little bits of stuff like concrete poetry and and things like that that crop up in the Age of Assassins books. Maybe depending on if they get past my editor. But possibly I would never have learned about if I hadn't been flailing wildly with no idea of what I'm on about. But I've not changed that much, to be honest with you. I've still no idea what I'm on about. And in fact, I've completely gone off the rails with this question. I have no idea what I was talking about in the first place. Something really interesting now. Dicks. Let's just swear. <laughs> <laughs> talk about dicks. <laughs> uh, so you did mention uh, music being a uh, big influence uh, for what you write uh as much, if not more so, than than books influencing your writing. Could you maybe tell us a little bit, maybe like what bands have influenced you, and maybe what way they have shaped you as a writer? Ah, oh, how they shaped me as a writer. Um, the first band that I remember just just thinking, oh my god, this is absolutely astounding, um, was Guns N' Roses, and they're a bit kind of oh, Guns N' Roses now. But when I heard them, <laughs> I heard uh, "Welcome to the Jungle," and there was just nothing like that. It was just this 
angry howl. And I, I am not an angry person. Um, and, and they seem to be documenting a life that I just, uh, I'd never understood and I'd never heard in music. Um, I was completely blown away by the fact that they swore on the record. I was so innocent that it just never occurred <laughs> to me. Anyone would do that. What? What's blowing my mind? Um, so, and I, I'd kind of, I'd experienced this world through books and then, but music adds a, a, another emotional element to it. Uh, and it's kind of hits you in a different place. And, and the words and lyrics were fascinating because it's really weird how my music listening has changed now because now like you you've got spotify and you can listen to as many songs as you want back then I, you, you didn't really have any money and you'd buy an album that had to last you six months and you just listen to it obsessively so there's kind of that every word would be poured over and what it meant and looking for the meanings in words um with guns and roses i, I don't think the lyrics were actually that intelligent i think i, I probably gave them a lot lot more than they deserved um but then you'd get bands like Pearl Jam later on who were um, documenting reality uh, and the way they did did that through the poetry of lyrics is, is fascinating. I hated Pearl Jam when I first heard them, <laughs> by the way. Just, I thought, I thought what is this boring dad rock? Um, it's terrible. It sounds like something 40-year-old people would listen to. And then I got given a free ticket to see them when they came to my town when they were touring 10. Um, and I went along basically to try and impress a girl. And um, she ditched me as soon as she got in there because she was not that stupid. Um, <laughs> but Pearl, <laughs> I was not very impressive. Um, Pearl Jam, absolutely the best live band I've ever seen in my life. Outstanding, just amazing. And, and I really like that record because of that gig. I don't like anything else I did. Um, I'm off tracks. But then from there, I discovered a lot of goth music, like the Sisters of Mercy, which was full of literary references. And, and that opened up a whole new different thing to me. And then Fields of the Nephilim, which... Um, they, they have a lot of literary references, a lot of references to the occult and folklore, which, which then I would go and chase down through the library and books. So I, I've got a fascination with, with the, the occult and, and magic and uh, people like Alistair Crowley. And, um, oh, God, I've forgotten his name. It's gone up my head. The artist. It'll probably come back to me later. I can see his face. That's not much use on, on the podcast, though, is it? <laughs> it's just, it's, his face. I'm just drawing a really bad picture of him. Yeah, um, Austin Osman Spare. There, it was a bad picture, but it was enough to remind me his name. Um, and, and he did some really fascinating things. Um, and then, then just generally mood. I like, like I, I, I have. I'm not angry. I just can't do it. I can't, I'm too lazy to be angry. <laughs> so I, it takes effort. I, I, yeah, it does take effort. And and just oh, and then if somebody starts making you angry, then you're giving effort to somebody who who's basically irritating you and then they don't deserve it. It's just not worth it. Um, so I use angry music. If I need to write something angry, there's always music on when I'm writing music or television, some sort of noise that that's important to me. That's, that was quite good wittering for me. I've got it completely off the point, but that's me. <laughs> so you continue to listen to music as you write. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Spotify play. That, oh, that's what, that's where I was going is that now I, I don't do that thing where I listen to a whole album anymore. Um, I've got the whole, all music forever on Spotify. So I, I kind of tend to listen to, make playlists and listen to one track by a band. I get kind of lost in that. Um, but at the moment, it's Cult of Luna. I don't know if you've heard them. Mm. Um, the track Cygnus by Cult of Luna. We're back to that proggy thing again. It's 15 minutes long. 15-year-old me would just not approve of this. He'd be stood behind me going, "What? who are you? <laughs> just, what are you doing? <laughs> Songs are three minutes long, you idiot. What, what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, Cygnus by Cult of Lunary is a, an amazing thing. Um, and Zeal and Arda, who are kind of Mississippi blues stroke black metal band, which shouldn't work, Ooh, but it, mm, it really does. <laughs> yeah, so oh, Zeal and Arda. Um, what's the track called? That's like don't, me. Don't go. 
Are you a Mississippi blues block struck black metal? I'm basic. Uh, you know, I'm from Mississippi, and yeah. you know, I'm basically black metal. So, I'm, I'm the human version of black metal. <laughs> I was going to you. You're not wearing corpse paint in the picture that Skype is showing me. But I like to think that's an old picture, and in yeah, reality, you are. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that's joyous. That's how I throw people off. <laughs> now I need to see Phil in corpse paint. Uh, that, that forever now. That is just, <laughs> I'm always in a forest. I'm always hanging out in a forest. <laughs> in the snow. Yeah. With no shirt isn't on. It, it's quite, yeah, isn't friends. it quite hot in Mississippi? Do you have to take your own snow? Uh, yeah, I'd have to shovel some in or like, it's either that dirty sludge snow that it looks yeah. like somebody pissed in it or something. <laughs> it's back in the snow. It must be really useful though that they've made it legal that you can carry a sword around in the, in areas of the deep South America for, if you're into black metal. That, that must have been a joyous I ac- moment. I actually did see a guy carry a sword around and we used to call him the Highlander. He would just walk around <laughs> town and we call oh, did you see Highlander today? He was just some teenage kid that walked around with a sword. And we're like, oh yeah, I saw Highlander walking down the highway today. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Wow. I bet he's an accountant now. <laughs> Something yeah, like that. probably. Yeah. yeah, it was just his life just went completely the wrong wrong way to how he imagined. He didn't actually become a, a, a knight saving women, climbing mountains. Do knights climb mountains? I just made that. Up. They don't, do they? Mm. Towers. Uh, towers. They should. Yeah. They should climb yeah. more mountains. Yeah, it's it's not practical in armor though, is it? That it's heavy. Mm-hmm. Mountain knight coming from R.J. Barker, 2019. <laughs> 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 I'm going to do it. I am. <laughs> So, with the antlers it could be half mountain goat yeah. there you go that would be pretty goats can climb anything they're mental oh, that, have you seen that picture of like, like a sheer wall and there's like six goats somehow it's like they're glued to it I just think, how did you do that goats that's amazing we don't have a goat head it's a bit of a bit of a letdown really you don't have a, a you don't have a goat head no no Come I think, on, I think really we're missing I know. That's the I most occult. Yeah. That's the most occult antlered thing that you can own is a goat head. I know. I nearly bought a goat head ring the other day. Ooh, see, that. still not good enough, but yeah, but I didn't. No, no. I've got a wildebeest. Ooh, does that, does that make up? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Wildebeest yeah, is just yeah. a cool name, anyway. Yeah. Wildebeest. It is. Yeah, it is. It, it always makes me think of the film Search for the Wilder People. Now that that's which isn't isn't that black metal really. Oh. I don't care. I'm going on like a reading to black metal and I'm not. I'm we don't talk about black metal like enough on this show, so it's fine. <laughs> no, we need no, more black metal. We do, we do. I quite like hair metal as well. Mm-hmm. Like my tastes are fun. Do you know what? I really love country music. Really? Yeah. There's, there's a, I would not have guessed. There's a, no, no. There's, um, there's a kind of a, a cadre of bands coming out of Denver. Um, I don't understand the geography of... of <laughs> Of America, I'm just going to presume that Phil lives a bus ride away from Denver because it's vaguely south. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it's country music by by way of the Sisters of Mercy and Bauhaus. And and I thought I'd I, I've never heard music as scary. There's a bloke called Jay Munley, and if you if you look up um Big Black Bull comes like Caesar by Jay Munley, it is the most terrifying thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It, it's it's just well, there's that and there's one called Three Wise Hunters, which is I made the mistake of falling asleep listening to Three, three Wise Hunters and woke up covered in sweat and terrified because it's just off its box. And he looks like a corpse. I just think, oh, <laughs> oh, you're, you're a bit of a... My, my wife thinks he's so hot. She's like, oh, look at him. He looks like he's dead. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, anyway, <that's- laughs> 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your con-going experiences uh, real quick. Now, at the conclusion of the podcast today, we're actually going to have a reading of Age of Assassins. So if listeners want to stay tuned for the end of the show, we're going to have you do a quick reading, give them a little sample of the book. So that should be cool. We we, we hear you do a spirited reading, so we're looking forward to mm-hmm. to that, RJ. But uh, you have been going to some cons lately. Uh, as an as an author, do you recommend cons as something to, to attend? Yes. I, I'd never been to a con before before I got signed because um, c- I just I just don't go out much. Well, I, actually, the truth is I just never had any money. We, we were always skin. Um, so so there, there was no chance for us to go because you, you have to get a hotel and all that. And, and then my publisher um, just said to me, so do you, do you go to conventions? And I went, I've never been. And they well, we think you should. So I went and they, they got me onto a panel. And it was an absolute scream. I do seem to be a little bit of an agent of chaos when I get on a panel because I'm not. No. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not very good at sticking. <laughs> um, um, and it's just and, uh, so I've done quite quite a lot and and appeared on a, on a few panels and it's all everyone I've met. I don't. I, this might be unique. I don't think this is unique to me. You know when you're working in a job and you spend your whole time in the job thinking, I, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to be in trouble. Um, I'm quite sure I've made a huge mess of this. Um, and that, that has been my entire working life, just thinking I'm going to ruin this. But I kind of feel like I found a place where I fit in through through not fitting in, mm-hmm. and it's really, really all the people I've met are just lovely and fun um, and very welcoming. Uh, and uh, was it Rob? You were saying that you're, you're a bit of a goth, aren't you? A little bit, um, mm-hmm. a little bit. I think the US US goth scene is a little bit different to the UK one, from what I gather. But the UK gossip has, has very much a kind of bring your weirdness to us. They don't really care whether you're a goth. They just, they just care that you're all right. Um, and I found that in the British conventions as well. I'd love to come to an American one. If you're an American convention person, um, I will come over and, and cause chaos. Um, but And I found that sort of that joyous, yeah, come and join in and just you be you and, and we'll all have a laugh and uh, no one's going to be offended when you say something ridiculous because <laughs> they They've they've worked out that you're quite ridiculous and really quite well meaning. So there's that, and um, everything I've done has just been hyster- just laughed. I've just laughed. I did a, a panel with um Ben Aronovich who wrote Rivers of London. I don't know I don't know if that's as big in the US as it is over here. It's huge. Um, three other writers, Guy Adams and David Hutchinson, and oh, I can't remember the other chap's name because he came in late, so it's not stuck in my head. But um, my publicist, um who's called Nazia, and she's a very, very bad lady, <laughs> made me, <laughs> she made me the moderator of it because she thought it would be funny. Oh. She knows that. I, yeah, I, I don't ever prepare for anything or, or do anything properly. So she thought it'd be hysterical. I would just, well, this, oh, it was a mess. It was a glorious mess. Though. <laughs> glorious. <laughs> we just laughed all the way through it. I was in tears. And I've promised that the next time I do it, I'll bring a glove puppet. I don't know how I got myself in that situation, but that, that's that's how it ended. Oh dear, dearie me. Anyway, yes, I like conventions. So definitely, would you say there's, there's an air of finding your tribe at the convention scene? Yeah, I think I think there definitely is. And I think no matter, matter who, you, who you are, if you're very shy, just talk to people because they will talk to you. They won't, no one's just like, yeah, shut up. They won't there's, stab there's you in the that. face there's, or anything? No, no, there's very little stabbing uh, in, in conventions that I've been to. Um, even when Ed's there, and that's like his second job, is, is stabbing people. Um, and, yeah, person. And, yeah, Anna Stevens, is, is, her job is breaking people over her knees. That's what she, she does um, for a living. I think it's something to do with law. Um, and, and Anna Smith-Sparks is terrifying. 
but lovely, lovely. But she can be terrifying. She just kind of stares at you if, if you say the wrong thing. She'll be, she'll be staring at me now for saying that. I'll get a message saying, I am not terrifying, RJ. How do you do that? That's the only reason I said it, Hannah. You know, she's not really, she's lovely. They're all lovely. Maybe I shouldn't say they're lovely. Maybe it'd be better for their images if I said they were t- terrifying. Right. Where should I go with this? They have a grim facade to present to the world. Yeah, yeah. They are all really grim. All I think them. we've noticed um, most of the people who are, you know, writing darker kind of uh, fiction actually are some of the nicest people. And I think uh, some of that has to do with getting your darkness out on the page to an extent. And then uh, then you can just be a normal person. I think I think you're probably onto something there. Because I, I I, there, there's very little darkness in me. I'm, I'm just I'm like you, a little sunshine. <laughs> you, you get it all out for, you know, having antlered beasts uh, uh, <laughs> impale each other. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that that, that's my yeah, that's my happy place, Philip. That's that's where I, where I where I when I first met met my wife, Lindy. Um, she met me and she said she thought, "Oh, you're lovely. You're you're little and fluffy." Um, I, I'm not sure I agree with that description because I'm actually quite tall. But after she'd known me for a bit, she said she went away and did an internet search to find something I'd written, and said so she just finished it and thought, "Oh my god, he's a serial killer. He's going to murder me in my bed because it." <laughs> It was properly horrific, and I, and I do kind of sometimes think, where, where does it come from? Too many horror films when I was a kid, I imagine. Hands of the Ripper when you're 11, that, 10, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> I was still quite scared. I don't know if you ever see it. It's a very bad horror film that is not in the least bit scary, but when I was 10, really was. For some reason, I, I'm quite scared of large stairs, which I presume featured in it in some way. Oh, yeah. I actually have a really terrifying stair experience when I was a kid. Uh, I used to see images at the bottom of my staircase. Oh god! <laughs> used to scare yeah. the shit out of me, and then and then you know as I got older they kind of went away. So I have an unhealthy. Uh, I don't know what the phobia is. Stereophobia. <laughs> some some smarter person can fucking tell me later. But stereophobia. I have stereophobia. Yeah, I I can't. What you know, Poltergeist. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. There's a scene in Poltergeist where a kind of ghostly spirit woman comes down some stairs, mm. surrounded by by little lights, and it's kind of meant to be the the nice bit, and she's meant to be a good spirit. <laughs> no, switch it off at that point. Too scary. <laughs> Not having any more. That, that's as far as I've ever got with Poltergeist. I know there's worse stuff coming, but she no, don't like it. <laughs> scary stare woman, stay away from me. <laughs> Well, we do have a question from our Patreon group, uh, The Order of the Bloody Unicorn. You can log on to patreon.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast. And for $3 a month, you can join the Cool Kids Club for the podcast. And we do have a question here from the group. Um, and it is, if Age of Assassins took place in the world of Pokemon and Gurton was like a part-time Pokemon trainer on top of being an assassin, what would his team of Pokemon look like? Oh, they're exploiting my weaknesses, <laughs> aren't they? This is not fair. Oh, but my knowledge of Pokemon it is minimal at best. <laughs> no, my little boy is very into Pokemon at the moment, and you, I get told off for saying Pokemon. Apparently, that's wrong. Apparently, it's Pokemon. Hmm. Just, yeah. So, and the, uh, yeah, in I, the US we call it po- Pokemon. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, but, but don't tell him that because no. he will actually shout. <laughs> uh, um, right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to name some Pokemon that I know are real. Famously, if you see my video, Badger Hands. Um, has to get in there. That's yeah. a Pokemon who him. has, yeah, he, he has badges for hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, what? Yeah, what's it's, his it's head? Inform- 
It's Does he have a nope. badger head also? That would be awesome. He has a badger head and then badger hands also. No, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> that would be, it's got a normal head, badgers for hands. Ah, okay. Maybe so. you're thinking about his evolved form, which ah. is badger head. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the better form. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a regular badger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Top four would, would of course be Honey Badger, which ah. is the world's most vicious mm-hmm. and wonderful creature. Indeed. Um, so, so we got we've got Badger hands. Maybe evolves into Badger head or goes full Badger. Um, I don't know. Depending on on how many pokey points he get, I don't, is that how it works? Um, three. It's three pokey points. Okay, three, three pokey points. Um, I'm always a bit confused about this. Is it a Pikachu or is Pikachu a definite thing? There are multiple Pikachu's. Pikachu is, it, is the famous one that is partnered with Ash, who is the main character in the series. Uh, but there are multiple Pikachus in the world. So that's just his particular Pikachu. So there, there are that, multiple. So some Pikachu are more Pikachu than others then. So you've got like Super Pikachu, which is Ash's. Because he, he doesn't have to go in a, a prison, does he? Because all the rest <laughs> of them have to live in a Pokemon prison. It's a ball. And Pokemon is so, it's the grimmest thing ever. Mm. It's basically dog fighting for your children. <laughs> I, I don't actually approve of it. I'm kind of, he explains it to me. You, you catch the animals and then you make them fight each other. And when they're not fighting, you keep them in a tiny ball. That does not sound It's not humane at all. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I agree, but apparently they like it. So, I, I'm, and, and he's seven, so we're not going to get into the, the morals of it um, just yet. But yeah, anyway, so we've got Badger Hands, um, Pikachu, because I, I know that is one. Um, can I have my cat? Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> Bertrude, um, my, my cat, he's coming. Cause he's a... <laughs> why, why is that funny? Because it's just like... I imagine Badger Hands, you know, he evolves into Badger Head or Full Badger. <laughs> Pikachu can evolve, but like the cat. <laughs> just like. Well, it's, what the cat evolves into is he, he evolves into not a Tomcat, which is probably going to happen to him quite soon. Um, so <laughs> that, 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 that's his evolutionary path is, is to a neutered, muted. It's neutered <laughs> cat. <laughs> Newton cat is, and I think I think that that's that's my team. I think we're going to clean I up. I like it. I like it. Yeah, watch out! Well, <laughs> here comes neutered cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh dear! This, I like there it, pergoly. That's natural peak. That's that's one. Ah, okay. <laughs> that's a Perg- <laughs> pergoly. <laughs> Yeah, I called it Purgatory for ages and took <laughs> po- But Purgly, that is a Pokemon. So I'd have one of them. There. Three actual Pokemon. Well, there we have it. it insights from uh, the Order of the, the Bloody Unicorn. That's our Patreon group. Patreon.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast. Log on today. You can submit questions to guests before the interview. So what's cool shit? Um, so some insights there into Pokemon and the overall immorality that's taking place in that cartoon story world. So. <laughs> devastating and then we are going to conclude with a little game as we always do here on the grim tidings podcast phil our resident game master has devised yet another um concoction here for us phil tell us a little bit about today's contest for rj barker author of age of assassins hi my name is philip overby and i'm the host of little game 
it is an exciting game show, <laughs> which we feature, we feature every episode. This version of Little Game is called Game of Assassins. Uh, in this game, I will offer forth a fictional character from any universe, and you will describe how how you or one of uh, your characters, for for example, Curtin, how would they assassinate these famous fictional characters? You can uh, be as brief or as uh, unbrief <laughs> as you'd like. So feel free. I'll give you a name, and then you will describe how this person would be dispatched by an assassin. Okay. Okay. Give give me a name. I okay. Hope let's. Know who it is. Let's start first with a kind of famous assassination that is spoilery if you've been under a rock for 200 <laughs> years. Uh, Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones, the uh, asshole <laughs> kid. <laughs> I, can you imagine it, the, the history books when you open the page and it says Joffrey Baratheon, the asshole kid? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, Joffrey. Um do you know what I I did with I, I struggle with books that have lots and lots of viewpoints. Um, so when I got to book three of Game of Thrones, I, I went through and I post-it noted each different character so I could read each one as a novel just about that character. Doesn't work. Mm. Don't do it. Um, that's not how I would assassinate them though, because <laughs> uh, it wouldn't work. Um, he, 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 I don't think he reads. He doesn't strike me as the type. Um, I, you, you know that crown he wears mm -hmm. mm. for some reason I took real offense against that crown and I would make him eat it that's what I'd do <laughs> uh, I, I'd cut it up into little bits and I'd make him eat it and <laughs> and he'd probably choke on it and, and that would be metaphorically good um, and that's how I, I would do for Joffrey just just to see his annoying little face the act is lovely but the character is, is so, so oh Joffrey we don't. We don't like him. Mm. I don't think anyone likes him. He's a he's, he's a love to hate character. He is. He is. Um, poor Joffrey. I just feel quite sorry for him now. Now that I said that, now that I said the asshole king, I'm imagining him like as a <laughs> sort of like uh, anthropomorphized <laughs> asshole <laughs> with a crown on it. Not surprised, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Don't. That was a bad That's image. It, it, is a, it is a bad image. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to the next character. Uh, this is from my Twitter stalking of you. Uh, okay. Doogie, Doogie Hauser, MD. Oh. The, the kid the kid doctor. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, why'd you have to bring him up? <laughs> I think Everyone we should loves make it, Doogie. My, my problem with Doogie is he's got a dog's name. Because <laughs> Doogie Hauser is clearly what you call a dog. That, it's a really good name for a dog. It's not a good name for a child. Um, uh, who calls? Do you know anyone called Doogie? <laughs> Any, anyone? People listening? Has anyone ever met? Uh, like Hauser? Like, there is Casper Hauser, so that, that kind of that, that that exists in in But Doogie? That's just cruel. My it's, great it's my great great grandfather is actually Doogie Overby. So oh yeah. No. no was was he a? No, I'm oh. fucking with you. I was gonna. <laughs> I was just gonna ask if he was a dog. I just, <laughs> I'm part dog. <laughs> what breed? What breed? This was my quest was to find out what what breed of dog would Doogie Howser be. So. Ah, uh, sounds like a small dog. I think. 
thing. Doogie Doogie sound, doesn't sound like a like a like a dog that takes a big shit. It sounds like one of those that's like really small and takes little shits, and it's kind of annoying. And you're like, hey, don't shit there. And then you have to spray something, and then it's like kind of looking at you while you're doing it, and then it kind of runs runs off and kind of stares at you a little bit. It's like that. But um, now I've bought myself time to think about how how I'd do it. This is a real dilemma murdering Doogie Howser because <laughs> A he's a child yeah that's that's um, B he's a doctor so he's doing a lot of good in the world yeah, really yeah. I, I remember you know if you watch the trailer for it it is hysterical um, but he does have some actual medical dilemmas at this 16 year old <laughs> doctor and, oh god um I'd, I'd like to say I, I would I would set war dogs on him because that would be <laughs> I think justice, obviously, because he's stolen a dog's name, um, and they'd be angry. They'd be extra angry with the dogs. Be like, you stole my mate's name, and now he's called Spot, and that's not fair. But because he's a doctor, I don't think I could do that. He's doing good in the world. So what I'd do is um, I'd lurk in shadowy alleyways and just kind of appear in in the corner of his vision and then vanish for his entire life. Um, <laughs> So he could carry on doctoring until the point he was so distracted he walked in front of a car, uh, uh, killed. Because then it's technically it's not it's not my fault. You see. It's not actually murder. Because karmically that would be bad to murder a doctor and a child. Um, and he'd have grown up probably. So he wouldn't be a child anymore. It'd just be the, the doctor bit that, that's bad. So he'd he'd really kill himself. Sort of. I'd just be involved slightly. Maybe he's retired by then. So yeah, he probably okay. would have retired. Yeah, yeah. So he's not a doctor anymore. Just, just going across the road on his Zimmer frame when he's distracted by me in the corner of his eye and he misses a pickup truck and it flattens him. And then, yeah, that's, that's the, the longest assassination ever. It takes real commitment. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we really went, we really went full blow with that yeah. one. Um, so let's do one more. Um, I want to do fucking Badger Hands. So let's do Badger Hands. How would you assassinate uh, Pokemon Badger Hands? <laughs> Can Pokemon die? Because I don't think they can die. They always faint. Uh, yeah, they faint. So okay, that, how would you of... how would you make Badger Hands faint? <laughs> I know, I, I, my, Mrs. RJ, the, the glorious Lindy, um, loves period dramas, uh, anything <laughs> based in the sixteen or seventeen hundreds. That that's her thing. Balls, um, talking Jane Austen, quite like Jane Austen myself. She's very funny. Um, but I know a foolproof way of making people think because I've watched many period dramas. <laughs> I would put badger hands in a too tight corset <laughs> and then say something slightly shocking about its knees or something. And I'd say, oh, badger hands, you are looking most attractive today. And, and it, it, she would just have an attack of the vehicles and he would be down. <laughs> that, that's how I do it. See, I'm, I'm a monster. It's faint on the couch, the yep, old that, fainting couch. Yeah, that'd be it. And then a, a man would have to come over with some smelling salts, which is you just don't have smelling salts about anymore. Do you? <laughs> what do you do now if someone faints? Slap them in the face. Oh, <laughs> as hard as you can. Wake up. We're just not as civilized anymore, are we? No. I'm going to start keeping smelling salts on me all the time, just in case. Or part- Actually, Mrs. Adia wears a lot of corsets, but she's never faint. I might ask her to. Start venting and then they can practice. This is the most weird I think the show has ever gotten. <laughs> All right, that's the end of the game. You win. Yay! Three, three Poke points. 
Yeah. Excellent. Oh, we evolved, don't we now? We're, we're Badger Face. Badger <laughs> Face, yeah. Oh, that was that was riveting. Um, <laughs> I liked it. Our show just went full bizarro. That was that was really cool. Good. All right, RJ Barker. Well, we're just about here ready to wrap up the show. Age of Assassins is available now. Folks can go to the show notes to pick up a copy by 10, by 20. 31 is the recommended number of books to buy, uh, as mm-hmm. recommended by Ed McDonald. RJ Barker, you're online at uh, rjbarker.wordpress.com. Black Antlers is the name of your blog, so folks can uh, check you out there. And then you're on Twitter, and it's not yes. not dead. Uh, it's D-E-D-B-U-T-D-R. M-N-G. But you might be better searching for R.J. Barker because that's just a lot less right. easy just to make a spelling mistake with. You'll find Not me. dead but drumming. I'm never off. <laughs> yeah, not dead but drumming. Not dead but doctor managing. <laughs> not dead, dead but managing. <laughs> yeah, not dead but managing. No, no. Dead but it's a very serious literary reference <laughs> to a man who turned out to be an awful racist and be gutted. But it's too late now. <laughs> <laughs> too late. <laughs> Okay, and then um, any con appearances coming up for you? Yeah, I'm doing um, a con called Sledgelit uh, just before Christmas in Derby in the UK, which I'm doing a workshop on uh, on harnessing chaos for writing because uh, I, I don't plan anything. I just sit and I, I write a book and see what happens. Um, it's usually quite interesting for me. <laughs> Maybe not for the readers. They'll find out as they go through them. Um, and I'm doing two or three panel appearances on, on various things, which I'll probably talk about other things as as is my want um i don't think i've booked to do anything after in the new year yet um if anybody in america wants to have me i've done comic-con in the uk um i'd gladly come over i'm just angling for a free trip to america really <laughs> somebody fly rj to america please yeah yeah come on i'd, I'd probably get stopped because <laughs> i look a bit dodgy they're just like no you are you're not you're a bit dodgy rj barker i am i am a bit dodgy <laughs> I don't think you can bring sell- smelling salts. Though. You'd have to you have to leave those at home. Can you can you bring stuffed animals? Is that allowed? I think so. uh, yeah, that's okay. I think my big dream is to find a moose head one day. That's, that's oh. my, Nicholas Eames, who wrote Kings of the Wild, um, yeah. and lives in Canada. I, I've made big him promise. Him. Yeah, I love Nick. He's brilliant. I'm I'm kind of a, I have this suspicion he might clear up all the awards this this oh. year because um, it it's been such a popular mm-hmm. book and and I couldn't be happier because he's such a nice chap just makes me laugh just just really it's just uh, that, that that would be nice because everybody seems to love his book and that's that's just really lovely to see that happening and then when can readers expect book two book two is february blood of assassins um book three is august next year they're coming out every six months oh. um because I, I write quick and then hopefully sometime after that um There'll be a, a new thing, which will will not will be a completely new world where Age of Assassins has kind of a um, medieval-y, post-Romano Britain thing going on. This will be a, a an entirely a world built entirely from the ground up. So just test myself a bit more. It won't be Mountain Goat Night, though. It'll be something else. If I remember, see, you must remember that. You have to remind me on Twitter because <laughs> I, I do tend to forget. Uh, anything i'm like after about two minutes um i'll, I'll reference him somehow in one of the new books <laughs> mountain goat mountain night go- i'll find mountain yeah, goat night okay yeah Sweet. i'll find a way all right well uh, would you drop back by on the podcast in february for uh the blood of assassins release definitely it's been absolute joy robert bill you've been lots of fun and made me laugh lots and i'll do anything that makes me laugh i'm, I'm up for that <laughs> you're great 
Us too. It's been a light. RJ Barker, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Best of luck to you and everything you've got going on. Pick up Age of Assassins, available on Amazon now, and a best of luck to you, sir. Cool. Thank you ever so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Grim Tidings Podcast, available online at thegrimtidingspodcast.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegrimtidingspodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at GrimDarkFiction, and for daily updates on all things Grimdark, be sure to drop by our Facebook group at GrimDarkFiction Readers and Writers. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time. Age of Assassins is told from the point of view of Girton in first person, and he's there with his master, Meryl Khan, who he refers to as the greatest assassin of their age. Um, one of the most important things in the book is is their relationship. Um, that's, their past is told through a, a series of memories, and they set it up, and this is the first one, and it puts you in mind of their relationship and why it works, and it tells you something sort of quite important about where they're from. Um, but it's in a different style to the rest of the book, so I'm just going to get on with it and read it. This is a dream of what was. He's scared. He's always scared. Today he's more scared than he has ever been because today everything changed. His life, though it is settled and ordered, is not good and it has never been good. But he's never known any other life, so he does not know that his life is not good. He only exists. Slave father is quick with his whip and the boy fears the whip. But are not all children whipped? And because he's crippled, he's always the last to be fed, always the smallest and hungriest of the slave pack. But is that not right? He's worth the least to slave father, so his life is hardest. He will not even make back his investment, and maybe they will use him to train the war dogs. He does not know what an investment is, but he knows it is important to be able to make one and that he cannot. There are other children in the flock. And they share an existence. They play in the same runs, sleep on the same sacks, in the same corners. They eat the same meagre food at the same time every day. He's surrounded by people he knows. He knows which ones to avoid and which ones are safe to be around. He knows that if you escape, the slavers will let the dogs rip you apart while the other children watch and scream. He even has friends, white hair and blue eyes. He is content. There is comfort in routine. Comfort in what he knows, comfort in the unchanging cycle of his life and the bars between him and the dogs. But everything is changing and now he is scared. They're split into boys and girls and Blue Eyes cries for him when she's been taken away and loaded into a cart with high wooden sides. He can hear her shouting for him over the excited yapping of the dogs. Clubfoot! Clubfoot! Even after Slave Father screams at her to stop, she carries on until the cart is out of sight. They never whip the girls or the prettiest boys. He does not know why. In the boys' cart, he sits with white hair, but they do not talk. They hold hands. As the crowded cart sways, it makes some of the other boys sick, and the air is thick with the sweet smell of vomit, and that makes more boys sick. And by the time the journey is finished, they're all covered in each other's sick. Men throw barrels of cold water over them. Big men, strange men, who pull them from the cart, strip them and give them sacks with holes cut for heads and arms to wear. He cannot see slave father, and that makes him feel strange. Like a flying lizard is trapped inside him with its wings fluttering against his ribcage. He worries because the flying lizards are delicate and their wings break easily. He, he does not like to hurt things. He finds his friend, white hair, and they grasp hands so tightly it's hard to believe they will ever be separated. But they are. One of the big men tears them apart as if they are nothing but straw dolls. He walks away with white hair, pulling the small boy along by the top of his arm in a way that is obviously painful. Clubfoot! Clubfoot! White hair can barely say his name for crying, but the big man does not care. They're not mean, the men. They're not deliberately cruel. They do not want to hurt them, but they do not want to not hurt them either. 
They treat the boys as if they're nothing more than sacks of grain rather than sacks of boy. And one by one, they vanish. The children he's grown up with, huddled within the cold of years' death, starved within lean times and fought with constantly for enough to eat. One by one, they are gone, and he does not know where. He cannot see over the wooden walls. Maybe they're being eaten, like the dead are eaten. Eventually, when the sun is going down and the high walls are throwing a cold shadow over him, it is his turn. A man takes him by the upper arm and drags him along through the dirt. The man smells of sweat. He takes him down a corridor in the high wooden walls. Someone has been sick halfway down it. From the corridor, he's taken out into a place, a place like no other he has ever seen. The low, hot sun makes him squint and he raises a thin arm to shield his eyes. Adults fill his vision. So many adults. More adults than he has fingers and toes. Then he sees the space beyond them. So much space. He tries to run back to the walls. The space is huge, impossibly huge. He can see further than he has ever imagined could exist. A never-ending plane of yellow earth and sky the colour of piss. It presses on him. It is a giant hand pushing him to the ground and drowning him in liquid fear. But the man does not care about scared boys. He does not even notice scared boys and he continues to drag him forward. They go up some wooden stairs onto a small platform and he is lifted up onto a small box garlanded with straw dolls. A rope is passed around his middle and they use the rope to hoist him up in the air. That is when he starts to scream. To scream and to kick and to wriggle he starts to scream. A small crowd of people watch as the momentum of his terror causes him to spin around on the rope. He sees, in all directions, the land is flat and dead and like the carcass of an insect left to dry out in the sun. Dust blows in great curling clouds and gets in his eyes so he sees the world through a lens of tears and hurt. Despite the heat, all the adults are wrapped in thick woolen cloaks with bright geometric designs on them. A man starts to speak and the words filter through his screaming and shouting. Last lot! I know he's a cripple, but as you can see, he's got plenty of fight in him. Bright too, from what I've heard. An angry wind pushes flapping triangles of blanket away from the bodies of those gathered. Members of the crowd start to drift away in ones and twos. Ten bits! Ten bits for the boy! I'll take ten bits for the boy! The man sings it out in a deep baritone. When there are no replies, he drops a tone. Eight bits for a boy! Five! Five bits for this boy! Five bits for this boy! And we can all go home! A pause, where the wind begins to howl. Small bits of wood and bones from food cartwheel across the dirt between the few woebegone tents. Come on! Any less than five bits and I'm better off selling him to the swillers as animal feed. A pause, and then the man sings out again. Three bits. Three bits, and I'll break even. No, then the swillers pigs eat well tonight. Does he have a name? A female voice. He stopped squirming and screaming in shock. He did not know girls became adults. And to ask his name. No adult has ever even hinted that they may have a name for him. We don't name goods, says the man. You want three for him, she shouts. Aye, three, we ask. Then five she says. I will pay five bits for him. And that, that is Merrila Khan. Always there at the last minute. Always giving more than expected. And this is a dream of what was. <laughs>